And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. And this is a special edition and I'm not going to take up a lot of time. But opening day, 24 hours away. We are almost there, my friends. It's great to have baseball almost ready to go. But I want to get my guest on. It was a great guest. We recorded this interview yesterday. Uh, and uh, it was just terrific. And we even going to talk about the Mets and everything else and I'll be back after the interview to fill in some pieces but check out this interview 24 hours away DeGrom signs an extension um, can't wait for the seasons to start but let's go right to the interview with Mr. Ron Darling. Hi and joining me this week is uh, someone that you all know very well he is the uh, part of the best broadcasting team in baseball with the New York Mets. He's a Mets legend, and he's on the line. He's got a brand-new book, and he is Ron Darling. And, Ron, thanks for joining Mets Musings this week. Well, thank you for including me. I really appreciate that. Ron, you've got this new book out, 108 Stitches, Loose Threads, Ripping Yawns, and the Darndest Characters from My Time in the Game. Um, how did this book come about for you? Well, um, I, I think all the books that, uh, you know, the three books I've written have really come from, you know, just uh, so much time on the road alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, it's just a practice that I, that I love to do that relieves some of the boredom. But this one came because, um, as your uh, listeners might know, there's 108 stitches in a baseball. And I thought it would be a cool idea to see if I had enough stories in my time in the game that not only that I could tell, but that each one was interconnected 108 times to mm -hmm. create the stitching around a baseball, and it worked. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it worked uh, for the reader, but it worked as far <laughs> as the mathematics. Um, and uh, and it was a great process, fun process, and it all was, and also was um, good for me to relive uh, some of the, you know, great moments uh, I've been lucky enough to be witness to. Well, it did work for the reader. It's a very entertaining book. And, uh, in fact, I have a thread, I think, that I can connect right around to complete your book. Great. <laughs> um, and that thread is this. You, you spoke about Smokey Joe Wood and Babe Ruth, and you connect yourself <laughs> all to that. Uh, my mother had her picture taken twice with Babe Ruth. Her name was Ruth Herman. Wow. And, of course, his name was George Herman Ruth, and my grandmother took, right. him, took him to Yankee Stadium, and he lifted my mother over the railing, took a picture on her, and uh, she swore that it was on the day he hit his 60th home run, the first picture. Um, we couldn't prove it. But I did find an old copy of the picture, and on the back had my grandmother's writing, and it was the exact date of the 60th home run. So it's not verifiable, but... <laughs> well, I, listen, uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good, <laughs> a good story. story. <laughs> that, that is number one. And two, uh, to continue, maybe we're at 110 stitches now. Uh, yeah. My good friend Roger Angel, who, uh, who wrote The Web of the Game about this St. John's... Uh, um, Yale game right. in 1981 um, is the only person I know that saw Babe Ruth play. So really? now uh, I, I know that your mom saw him play, and I know 
the Roger song play. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty good. So you start to book at A with uh, Don Ossie and work from there. And uh, lots of interesting stories as you go through uh, the combination. You tie it into Larry Boa. Uh, Gary Carter, everybody. Uh, uh, one of the interesting stories was uh, getting Kevin Elster arrested. You want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, we were just uh, um, having some fun uh, with Kevin, who was, uh, let's just say, bragging about uh, his exploits. <laughs> and we had had enough of it. And uh, um, it seems pretty juvenile in this day and age. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, um, uh, you're in a clubhouse with guys for eight months. Um, all of their good and bad uh, comes out. Uh, nothing is hidden. And I will say Kevin Elster was uh, my best, one of my best friends when I played on the bat. Um, but it's sometimes enough is enough. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, the best way to do it is uh, in a uh, joking manner. So uh, the Philadelphia story, um, I know it's a great movie. Um, but it'll be known by Mets players uh, for Kevin Elster. For Kevin Elster, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, of course, when you were in the Mets system, you were at uh, Tidewater, and you have some interesting stories there. I don't want to give away the whole book because I want people to go yeah. out and buy it. <laughs> but if you have one you care to relate. Well, I, I mean, um, you know, one of the things about uh, a plane in Tidewater is that they have had such a long history of, of uh, being involved uh, with the Mets. Uh, I had never ever been in that area, even though I grew up on you know the East Coast. I'd never mm -hmm. driven through Tidewater or or knew it, and uh, did not know that it was such a military town. My dad was a, a military person, and um, you know I, th I think the most interesting thing about any minor league stories are that um, the scrum to get to the major leagues is just so difficult. And you realize when you're in the minor leagues that all of these young men are as equally as talented as you are. They're the best from their town or village or hamlet. And you're all thrown together and you kind of eat your way to the top. Um, and, uh, um, you know, that's the thing I'll always take from the minor leagues. But, you know, some of the stories I didn't include in the book was, Rick Ownby, who ended up getting traded for Keith Hernandez, mm -hmm. his favorite thing to do, he was a surfer kid from Huntington Beach, is that he could play Frisbee with his feet. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's those kind of things that happen. I didn't know anything about hacky sack, which is a right. a game that you play with uh, with your feet and a, and a kind of a mushed up uh, uh, a ball. I didn't know anything about that. So, the, you know, you're... you're put all together from California to the East Coast, and you learn a little bit about um, uh, about Americana uh, when you're in the minor leagues because everyone comes from a different place. Right, right. And and it's such a tough job now. I remember uh, Ralph Kiner used to say that there were guys in the minor leagues that probably had more talent than some of the guys in the majors, but a lot of it was mental. Uh, yeah, mental or or bad luck or happenstance. Mm -hmm. um, it, there's just so many things that have to go your way. Um, you know, I've talked to Keith Hernandez about this many times. I think to make the major leagues, unless you're a Mike Trout kind of player, 
or a Keith Hernandez kind of player, is that you need a little angel on your shoulder at mm-hmm. some point, a guardian angel to to help you along uh, your way. I remember a, a young right-hander for the Mets, Jeff Bittiger, who seemed to get 10-plus wins in AAA every single season and would never get the call because he was stuck behind the Goodens and the Fernandez and the Darlings uh, at, at all. So, um, you know, it, just being in the right place sometimes uh, makes it all happen for you. And, you know, Jeff Bittiger should have gotten his shot. Um, right. He did not. And there's probably uh, a million stories just like that. Yeah, it, it's uh, funny you mentioned Keith. And, and uh, Keith was drafted, when, the 41st round, 47th round, something like yeah, that? Yeah, 53rd, 53rd. 53rd. Yeah. And the guy that was drafted first was uh, Ed Kerpeel. Maybe this is another thread. And I actually played yeah. baseball against Ed Kerpeel. That's how old I am. <laughs> well, you know, the, it's not a perfect science, you know, the draft. And I think that it's closer to a science now than it was in my day. But, um, you know, literally in my day, you just had a local scout who told a fact checker that there was a local kid who could really play. Uh, they would send their big gun in to watch him play. And it depended on a Tuesday afternoon and 45 degree weather in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> did I have a good day or did I not? Right, and right. Uh, um, there's there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of happenstance luck involved. And uh, uh, again, unless you're you know one of those supreme talents, that's a can't miss kind of mm-hmm. talent. Now, do you think it's any better today with all of the uh, analytics and the video going into the draft that they know so much more about these players? I mean, it's still a crapshoot, though. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think. Well, I think what what happens with the analytics is that teams uh, have the ability organizationally to identify the players that fit what they think is is a good ball player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right. It, it is a crapshoot. But um, listen, it wasn't perfect when only the scouts had all the power and only the eyes were on players. And it's certainly not perfect if, uh, if the uh, mathematicians take over and it's only the analytics uh, that are looking at athletes and not uh, eyes looking at their heart um, uh, and uh hustle and all of those things. So, you know, the teams that do it best are the ones that combine the analytics uh, with the eyeballs and um, uh, the Houston's and the, uh, uh, the Red Sox and other teams like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've got to be able to do that at a high level and be able to take all the information out and be inclusive, not exclusive. The teams that are exclusive and mathematics only or scouts only um, are, are the ones that are not good. Right. And and you write about this in the book. You mentioned about uh, how the game has changed. And, and in some instances, not really for the better. Well, I, I think that, um, I, I think that you, know, you know, me doth protest too much. I think we have a lot of people that are telling you that the game is, is in, a, in a great place because of the analytics. And um, listen... Um, you know, a lot of what is taught on the lower level, and I'm talking about the 12 to 15-year-old kids, on how to play baseball is is uh, not all correct. Um, 
you know, the, the ability to think for yourself. Uh, here's an example. Um, you have a coach who's calling the pitches of a 12-year-old kid, um, so he never gets to factor in the decision-making on what pitch to throw, sequence of pitching, and things to do. Um, I think, you know, all of that is, is part of the deal. It's just like parenting, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what is it they call it? A, a, a snow plowing or lawnmower parenting where parents go out there and we've seen the recent scandal and they try to make sure that their kids never, ever have a tough moment. Right. Um, that's, uh, that doesn't work. Uh, having tough moments uh, are, are teachable and learning moments. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, there's the theory that we're going to get these kids to play one way. Well, one way will get you drafted. Um, one way will get you maybe some money um, by big league teams if you can throw 95 plus. Certainly, it has nothing to do with how to get people out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have been around a game a long time. And of course, now you're in the booth for the Mets. Um, what makes you guys so good in that booth? I mean, uh, we talk about chemistry on championship teams, and there's definitely a chemistry between you and Keith and Gary. Well, I, I think it starts with two names that uh, very few people know. Um, our late uh, great uh, director, Bill Webb, who um, had done so many all-star World Series broadcasts that his pictures were just impeccable. And uh, now that he's left us, he has left us with a legacy of young people who learned under his tutelage. Uh, and Greg Picker, who is our producer, who I, um, I think is the best baseball producer in all of the game. Um, he could, he's produced Wimbledon. He's produced U.S. Opens. He could do anything. He probably could produce an Oscar-winning movie, but he's stuck with us three knuckleheads uh, <laughs> night in and night out. So um, that's where the foundation came from. And, and I think... You know, Gary, Keith, and I, um, certainly Keith and I know each other, and, mm -hmm. and, and Gary and I were all familiar, but I wouldn't say we knew each other uh, as, as well as we do now. But we all had to lean on each other. Keith had the most experience on TV. Gary had none. I had very little. Mm -hmm. And we all bring uh, a little piece, uh, or, or in Gary's case, a bigger piece to the pie. And, um, and we just leaned on each other, you know, uh, Gary knew that he couldn't do it all. Um, Keith knew he couldn't do it all, and I certainly couldn't do it all. So we've, you know, we come from a place on on really uh, counting on each other, and that count has turned into trust, and that trust has turned into um, we feel as though we can go anywhere we want to, and that if you get stuck in a rut, that uh, one of your uh, brothers will pick you up. Um, the only way I, uh, I guess, the best way to equate it for your musical fans out there, it's like freeform jazz is that occasionally, um, you know, the drum solo or the, or the piano solo is the uh, most important uh, uh, part of the night. And uh, I think we all trust that if it's Gary's night, we let him roll. If it's, uh, <laughs> if it's my night uh, on a pitching night, uh, I go. And if it's a, let's say in, in a contemporary game, Mets uh, roster right now, if it's Conforto, is three for four with a couple of home runs. Uh, Keith certainly is going to dominate the broadcast. So um, uh, even though we all have, I'm sure, 
to people who know us, egos, maybe even big egos, uh, we check it in <laughs> in the booth, and I think that's why it works. Well, and and I agree. I think it's it's uh, a great setup that you do. You have Gary as the ringmaster, and then you talk about the pitching, and Keith can talk about the hitting, and 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 you cross over as well. But it just works so well. Well, you know, for your fans at home, how that started is one minute before our first broadcast, Keith turned to me and, you know, Gary was nervous. It was going to be first time opening a broadcast, so we kind of left him alone. Keith tapped me on the shoulder and he said, remember, and a little expletive deleted, but he said, remember, <laughs> you do the pitching and I do the hitting. And literally in one sentence, he encapsulated Kind of what we've done for 14, this will be our 14th year. And um, uh, Keith always was a leader and always was brilliant in getting the best out of the players he played with. And now he's getting the best out of me in the booth. He just carried it right through, right off the field and into the booth. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Uh, I'm sure you heard today's news that uh, Jacob DeGrom has reported that he has uh, signed or will sign an extension for five years. Your thoughts? Um, well, my thoughts were is that there was a lot of reporting that, you know, the team had an upper hand because he was 30 years old, because he would reach free agency at a, at a more advanced age. Uh, but I totally disagreed with that in, in only this sense. It's the most unique, perfect storm for one of the best pitchers in the game. And that is, is that months ago at the All-Star game, his advocate, who is now his boss, uh, knew what he was worth and told the Mets what he was worth and told Jacob what he was worth. Mm -hmm. So at some point, the advocacy for Jacob now knew going in that at some point, Jacob and Brody had had a conversation on what he was worth to the ball club, what he was worth financially, what he meant to the organization. So I think uh, that to me is the reason why this got done, um, is that at some point, um, Jacob knew what management knew. And um, when that happens, and it very rarely happens, uh, uh, things uh, usually get done. And I, I also think it was a perfect storm and 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 that the sale and Verlander and other extensions right. uh, got done at the same time. It kind of really bounced past uh, uh, Mets management and Brody into uh, into a uh, a delicate place and um, and I think they both uh, to me both did an unbelievable job in getting it done. And and thank goodness that they did. And we we are uh, rolling up to uh, opening day soon, and I know you're in preparation for that. But um, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, get your opinion on this uh, 2019 Mets team as we go into opening day. What's your thoughts about it? Well, I, I you know they're exponentially uh, better than they were last year. Um, their depth, as we're all already seeing because of some of the injuries is exponentially better than just about any time that I've covered uh, them in the last 13 years. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that is a, a big key. Um, you've got to be able to replace uh, major league ball players with major league ball players <laughs> uh, uh, when the proverbial you-know-what hits the fan. Right. That being said, um, the only Achilles heel I think I see for this team is that uh, – 
in a win it now kind of mode because of their uh, talented starting pitching and bullpen uh, now is that um, they're a little older. And uh, that will be uh, really the story of the season because the Wilson Ramoses, the Jed Lowry's, um, the Robinson Canoes, they are really good at what they do. And the only way they cannot be really good at what they do is if they can't get on the field. Mm -hmm. So if they're on the field a lot, uh, if you met fans at home, if you're seeing Cano and Ramos's and Lowry's name in the lineup a lot during this summer, um, you're going to have a real fun summer. All right. That sounds great. And uh, the book, of course, is 108 Stitches, Ron Darling, uh, loose threads, ripping yarns, and the darndest characters from my time in the game. Any idea? Is your schedule out yet? Where you're going to be signing this book? Yeah, um, I just had uh, the people at St. Martin's uh, Press. If people want to go on that website, um, but I literally next week, every single night, I'm in New Jersey, <laughs> Manhattan, Connecticut, um, everywhere, and I know that they've uh, tweeted it out. So. If you want to go at Ron Darling Jr., um, that's uh, my Twitter account, you'll see uh, where I'll be. And if you can come, that would be great. You know, um, when I do uh, when I do the book signings, I, you know, I sign memorabilia, I take pictures. It becomes uh, kind of a fun connection with Mets fans. And I honestly probably get as much out of it, uh, hopefully, uh, as the people that come do. Well, I know you'll be April 2nd. You'll be at the Huntington, uh, the book review in Huntington. So if people want to jot that down and uh, uh, there's a nice place in Rockville Center called Turn of the Corkscrew. You might enjoy being there. I hope. Yeah, I, I, lo I love to do, you know, the mom and pop shops, the smaller book. Uh, yeah, stores. yeah, yeah. I, I, I love because um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't want to see them go away, I guess, because I'm a, a voracious reader. So I yeah. love those little uh -huh. places. Yeah, I, I was just there at one, uh, in fact, uh, for Art Chamsky's book, and uh, it's a great little venue, so you got to work on a publicist to get you in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I, I already have plenty of those. That's, uh, that's yeah. up to them. So, yeah, I kind of get led around by the tail and uh, and told what to do, so uh, uh, that's their job. Well, it's good to, to meet the public and meet the fans. <laughs> Of course, of course. <laughs> well, Ron, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a busy schedule, and I know we had some snafus along the way, but I'm so happy that uh, we finally got it together and uh, you could make it on today. Okay, thank you so much. I had a, I had a great time, and it was great uh, um, musing about the map. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I'll be back right. right after this. Bye. Looking for great Cardinals talk? Then check out Conversations with C70. My name is Daniel Shopdaw, and I talk with some of the great bloggers on the Internet today about their teams. It always goes back to the Cardinals. Find the latest episode on my website, www.cardinal70.com, or at baseballpodcast.net. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com, along with Mets Musings and other great baseball podcasts. With all the Mets news, it is the news from around the world and around the corner. Here's Gary Mack. 
Okay, and we're back, and I hope uh, you enjoyed that. Uh, as I said before, we're less than 24 hours. By the time you get to listen, this will be probably even closer to opening day, but tw- less than 24 hours away to opening day. As I said, DeGrom signed for uh, until the 2023 season, five years, $137.5 million. Can earn is an option year for 2024. I think he can earn up to $170 million. Uh, that's good news. Uh, Syndergaard in a fight with Mike Francesa, I guess. Uh, Francesa called him a prima donna. Um, look, Syndergaard shot his mouth off. I can't disagree with everything he said, but, you know, probably wasn't the right time to do it. Um, it did help the Grum get the extension, I guess. Uh, but the thing about Syracuse, uh, for those that don't know, the Mets went to Syracuse yesterday for a workout, and uh, the ground, um, Syndergaard was a little ticked off because instead of flying to New York, they had to take a bus to Sarasota to play a game. Then they flew to Syracuse, and the reason they went to Syracuse is because the Syracuse Chiefs, uh, or the Syracuse Mets now, are going to be the new AAA team. And so they wanted to show some support and show the main team there. I, you know, I, I, I get his complaint, but look, it's part of the business. This is what you have to do. It's part of the branding. You are a Met. They are branding a new franchise up there. And, yes, they'll they'll draw because it's pretty much the only game in town in the summer. But, you know, these minor league teams like to see the the, the big name players from the parent club. And these players have to keep that in mind. And as, as much as a nuisance as it, it seems to be, it's something that's a necessary evil. Now, on his defense, he did go and he did seem to enjoy himself. He, he apparently ran out on the field. Uh, one of the first ones out with a big Syracuse Mets flag, and he got into it, so he did his job as a professional. I just don't like the guys doing the little nip, 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 picking um, into the press at all, but that's life, and uh, it goes on, and there's nothing you can do about that. Um, but uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm not going to talk anymore. We're going to just get warmed up for opening day. And, uh, you know, going to try to keep the guests rolling in. It's going to be tough. Uh, it was a good couple of weeks, good couple, good month or so of uh, terrific guests. And, and we'll have some of our usual terrific guests coming up in the future. But, um Enjoy it, and uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I want to thank my guest once again, Ron Darling, SNY TV, and the 1986 World Championship New York Mets. Great for having him on, and everybody should go out and pick up his book, 108 Stitches. It's a really great book, so go pick it up. Very good reading for the baseball season. And I want to thank all of you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, uh, Spotify, wherever you listen or watch the podcast. Hit the subscribe button. That helps me grow the show and expand to new listeners. And until next time, and next time we'll be in a season, remember to keep the faith. 
stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. See you again next time on another edition of Mets Musings.